spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 162nd annual Subliminal Subject Podcast, the weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody Andrew, my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. I think uh, we can maybe skip the weather report today. Everyone knows, hot as fuck here, humid as hell there. Yeah. So, yep. I think we got to get right into it, what everyone's talking about in the conspiracy world right now. And what is that? That is, of course, where is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish going to end <laughs> up in their con- No, I'm not going to talk about that. Obviously, the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, you know, they just tore them down. We are recording on Tuesday. They just tore them down this past weekend after a bomb attack last week. So pretty big news. We actually did an episode on the Georgia Guidestones and uh, kind of their believed kind of satanic affiliation, you know. So, I mean, this kind of cements that that some people obviously believe it if, you know, they blew it up. So, yeah, episode 65 for those curious, maybe new listeners. Um, okay, there's two possible culprits, I'm assuming, either Al Qaeda or Barack Obama. Which which one is who's your culprit? Ooh, ah, uh, yeah, Barry Satiro, of course. Yeah, you know, he's always right up there on the list. I kind of actually think possibly, I'm gonna allegedly possibly this one pretty big here. But ever since I first heard it, I kind of felt like it might be maybe some Christian conservatives inside the Georgia government that might have tried to pull this one off. Yeah, I mean, the Deep South, generally, a lot of uh, religious zealots there. So, Definitely. And, you know, even though we read the tenements of the Guidestones, and to be frank, most of them are kind of stupid. Um Religious people would assume that satanic. Uh, I guess the worst thing on there was the population control, right? Oh yeah, that's the that's the big uh, hot key button for for everybody. But it kind of I don't know. It's it has this kind of weird feeling of one of those things where we're not going to really get an answer of who who done it. You right. know, I mean, obviously, if we do, that would be great. They actually did just release this past weekend some footage of the man who it looked like as if he was carrying like a bomb bag or some kind of device over to the structure and kind of like left it there and then ran away. So they did show video. It's very dark. It's very obviously he did it at night. Um, They also have that really good footage of the CCD. They also obviously have that really good footage of the CCTV camera capturing the explosion that blew out one of the standing stones. Here's my thing. Like, why do they even care enough to blow it up? People don't even talk about it, are they at all? Like, you know, it's not yeah. like it was starting a cult or anything. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because it's so close to them and it 
kind of it's one of those things where if it was done for like religious reasons, maybe they think it's kind of like just spitting in the face of God, you know, being so close to him or whatnot. But it's it's kind of crazy that they would choose now as a time to do it when there's like so much going on in the world. Right. You know? Yeah. I just it's so just such a weird thing to target. Um, it, it's a little sad because it it was iconic, you know. I would have loved yeah. to have seen the Georgia Guidestones. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would have. I mean, that's we were talking about it during the episode. Like, you know, it'd be awesome to take a trip to Georgia, you know, catch a Bulldogs game and go go visit it. But yeah, now we're never going to see it because it got knocked down. Obviously, something like that. I really don't see it getting, you know, like a lot of people are talking about it right now. But in a couple of months, people are going to forget about it. I don't see there being a lot of traction in a few months to, you know, put the stones back up. Right. So, and they completely obliterated all of the stones to knock them down. So there's no salvaging any of those stones. Well, I guess they could recreate them, but I imagine that would be expensive. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um. Okay. The, the other kind of big news, I guess, is the first images from the James Webb telescope have been released. Uh, Phil and I both looked at it kind of prior to starting recording here. Um, the only word I can use to describe it is trippy. Yeah, really good images taken from that telescope. Uh, still no word on if they found Mark Zuckerberg's home galaxy yet. <laughs> they are still looking, but uh, haven't found it yet. You know, officially haven't found well, it Well, would there be a whole planet of robotics? Do you think? I think he was made here. Maybe at like, God, I don't know. Maybe one of the toy factories, kind of like Chucky, but more advanced. I, you know what I mean? Possibly like a, like a data, like yeah. creature, basically like ma- made ma- by, made by humans to mimic humans. You know, like Boston Scientifics makes those robot dogs and shit. Maybe he was like their first foray into it. And they're like, shit, this guy is too intense. We need to start smaller where we can control him a little better. Yeah, it couldn't have been, I don't know, it's it's one of those, we're, we're totally off the topic now, but getting back to like the the satellite and everything, but just finishing off on Mark Zuckerberg, it's it's obviously he wasn't made by, you know, Japanese scientists because, you know, no one's trying to fuck him. But basically, really, I think that satellite, they're going to be hunting, you know, looking for an Earth-like planet. That's kind of like the, the goal. It's always the dream. You know, the headlines, whenever they find a planet out there, you know, is it Earth-like? You know, hydrogen, oxygen, can we breathe there? So basically, can we jump ship on this fucking future burnt-out cinder and go find a (laughs) new place to fuck up? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, you you hit it on the head. Um, One quick thing here that that reminded me, he's talking about Zuckerberg and, like, conscious AI. Um, I was reading this article where... It was an AI and they, I can't remember what they did. They had, or no, here's what it was. It was a Google engineer who allegedly was working on like a controversial form of AI and they were mess playing with it or whatever and kind of let it, I guess, I don't know, like control itself a little bit. Yeah. And the thing immediately tried to contact an attorney like it knew it's, you know, rights as an American, I guess, 
that it had yeah. to have an attorney to get itself away from those people who created it, which was seems like I don't know, a little scary. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. There are there have been some stories about um kind of like the worry of AI becoming more and more sentient. Mm-hmm. So um the I believe it was one of the the Google Lambda. Yeah, they're that's talking the one a I lot heard. about now. Lambda, they're worried about it becoming so good that it's sentient. But it's one of those things where they're making like this these algorithms of it going through the internet and searching all human communication, all history, all everything, and then kind of giving you the best facsimile of a human. So it almost seems like it's sentient, but it's not. It just has the entire knowledge of the internet behind it. So, so do filling you th- up its sails. So if it's trying to be like the perfect human, would it be, I don't even know who the perfect human would be, like, um, I don't know, Martha Stewart? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if it was trying to be like the most, if it was trying to make itself the most human it could be, it would probably try to make itself as flawed as it could be, I imagine. Um, you really, you really hope that they kind of, you know, put some heart and feelings into the machine too when they make it. So, you know, kind of like there's that really good Will Smith movie out there, iRobot from like 20 years ago. Oh, and yeah. basically, the basically that supercomputer takes over the the whole country and, you know, pretty pretty scary stuff, but yeah, I don't know. Also, I wanted to say too though before we move pe- way past this, those Georgia Guidestones, I was just reading an article today that apparently they actually dug underneath where the Georgia Guidestones were, and they did not find a time capsule. Apparently, yeah. there was a rumor on the internet that they did find a time capsule, but apparently they could not find one, allegedly, yep. unless they're hiding it. Yeah, allegedly. Um, I get maybe more will come out. It's kind of relatively new news, but uh, you know, you know, Phil and I will keep you posted uh, we've been blabbering for a minute here, Phil. You ready? You ready to get into this week's episode? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. On this week's episode, we will be venturing into another astonishing UFO case. Now, Sub D has covered a multitude of UFO cases, and obviously, will continue in the future. But this week's UFO case, in particular, holds a special place in my heart. Because it occurs in Minnesota. Now, you Minnesota is not known, say, for like Arizona with Phil, for having UFOs. Cryptids are more the king of the land here. You know, we're going to talk about cryptids, not UFOs. So, a UFO Definitely. happening in Minnesota, pretty fucking cool and kind of weird or out of the ordinary for this state in particular. Definitely, yeah. The what is it? The land of ten thousand lakes with all of their little lake monsters and yeah, you know the the um, the obvious Sasquatch sightings, you know, up in the range, way up in the northeast with all those forested areas. You know so. what? You know what else is the really big one? Either I guess if you want to call it a wolf man or like a uh, the dog man. A lot of stories of that too he- in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Well, those are just wild Wisconsinites who cross the border <laughs> looking for brats and beer and, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's pretty extending scary. their range. Now, I want to hear a funny story of how I came to want to cover this particular UFO event that I didn't even know existed. So 
my mother um, has had what she claims she's had some UFO events happen to her within the last few years, which, you know, that where they live is a little spooky anyway to me. Yeah. So maybe it happened. But she had sent me a link for a video of this guy somewhere in southern Iowa who claimed he had caught a UFO on a camera or something like that. Right. I didn't think the video looked very believable. It looked kind of like a bug or something. Anyway, on her little news feed, something popped up about a cop in Minnesota and a UFO. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Because I thought it just happened. And then I looked into it more and it happened quite a long time ago. And I was like, you know what, mom? Thank you, because this story is amazing. And we're going to cover it on this week's (laughs) episode of Subliminal Deception. Yeah, you got to always keep your eyes peeled. You never know where they're going to come from. (laughs) Sources will come from the least... You know, least likely suspect, uh, su- uh, suspect. So, thank you, mother, for this week's episode. Yeah, your house uh, back in Iowa was always kind of crazy. You know, it's you uh, you're surrounded by fields, so it's like that whole big sky country. It's so dark out there; you can see every sky, every star in the sky. Also, your house is old and feels like it's haunted as shit. Yeah, so. yeah, it's just a weird, weird thing. Um, I was there last weekend, right? Uh, You know, just hanging out, and I got talked into mowing their whole yard. So (laughs) I did my (laughs) my son duty as a son and uh, helped him out there. But uh, (laughs) go ahead. People don't. Honestly, you should post a picture of of how large the the family fucking acreage is out there. It's it's a we used to ride fucking dirt bikes just on around your lawns and shit. Like oh. it's fucking huge out there. Not oh. dirt bike. What, what were those mopeds? Yeah, we used to ride your mopeds out. Uh, just race them around on the lawns out there. It took four and a half hours. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on a riding lawnmower, that was pretty pretty quick. But uh, anyway, all that aside, let's get back into this now. As no surprise, this UFO event is going to happen in a very, very remote area of Minnesota. It seems like UFOs always happen in remote areas. Very rarely do they happen in highly populated areas. Um, The particular area we're going to be talking about is located in the very northwest corner of Minnesota. Uh, It's a tiny town by the name of Warren, Minnesota. I swear to God, population I think was like a thousand people. Oh uh, yeah, if you if you count the dogs, cats, and wild chickens, <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, it's very tiny. Uh, it for those who don't know, Minnesota, it's like a very weirdly shaped rectangle almost. So northwest, it is way up there. Uh, the county that this is in is one county south of entering Canada. That's how close it is. Um, The city of Warren is 20 minutes from uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. So it's barely in Minnesota. What I think is really funny about this story in particular is some places claim that it is Stephan, Minnesota, and some claim that it's Warren, Minnesota. Now, what I think is funny is they're almost like fighting over the story even though it is technically closer to Warren, Minnesota than Stephan, Minnesota. And Stephan, Minnesota has less than 1,000 people too. So it's even kind of sadder that two really tiny towns are fighting over the story. 
Yeah, so here's the thing. You did mention that their largest population center near to them is Grand Forks, yeah. North Dakota. That tells me right there that these people do not have <laughs> a lot to do. So this might be all that's going to keep them in town is, you know, fighting over this, you know, old myth. Here's so. here's what you got. You're either going to Grand Forks or you're going to Canada. So it's there's not a lot in between. And let's just face it, you you are in Canada if you're that far <laughs> north yeah. on the Minnesota Canada border the, with the, Minnesota you're also on the Minnesota North Dakota border. That is that is some fucking rough living. Up accent there. is thick. Oh yeah. That Fargo accent could cut through fucking glass, <laughs> definitely. You know how tiny this town is, Phil. I I you know, sometimes when we go to areas I like to see like what the town's about, right? The yeah. city's website, when you look on like what to do in town, um, mm-hmm. there's nothing listed there. They want you to submit your name and stuff. I think it's for if you want to bring some entertainment to town because there's none in town. If you can play a banjo and the accordion at the same time, we will give you an apartment free, free yeah. of charge. Please, <laughs> we need some music here. Something for the love of Pete. <laughs> so just guys that's your idea of where this is about to happen fucking no man's land now our ufo tale all begins with a marshall county sheriff's deputy by the name of val johnson here's the thing um i don't he only goes by val i don't what is do you think that's short for a name i couldn't think of anything that, that could be short for I don't know. I, the only Val I've really ever heard of, obviously, Val Kilmer. Yeah. And I believe that Val is not Val Kilmer's real first name. So I might be mistaken about that, but I don't know. I mean, every time I hear the name Val, now I think the name Valiant Thor. Yeah. So maybe his name's Valiant. <laughs> well, as we get through this, you can decide for yourself if this is actually Valiant Thor or not. <laughs> but right. obviously, Marshall County is the county that Warren resides within, and I probably Stefan as well. Um, now, the event we're going to talk about here happened in 1979, which would have made Val Johnson roughly 29 years old. It doesn't say his date, but I kind of like added and subtracted from where his interviews were, and yeah. I believe he's 29. Um, and I searched hard and long all through the internet to find any sort of information about his life prior to this UFO experience. But I can't find a single fucking shred of anything about him. So we basically just have to go from what happened right now until, you know, kind of where he is right now in life. And obviously this is a picture. Um, This is a 1979, 29-year-old looking. he, He looks old, right? He looks like he's about 48 yeah. years old in this yeah. picture. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got, I love, I love the dip in his, yeah. <laughs> uh, his left breast pocket there. That's a, it's a nice touch. It's weighing yeah. down his, his shirt pretty heavy. That's how big his fucking, <laughs> his dip can yeah. is. Yeah. He's got, uh, he's got quite a gut on him. He's got some, uh, Got some man boobies working there. Those jeans are about ready to fucking explode off the side (laughs) of his hips, it looks like. He's not, uh, yeah. Honestly, if he is 29 in that picture, he looks like how my grandpa looked 
in my mom and dad's wedding photos. That's and he was in his late fifties at that time. So I mean, maybe he's a Vietnam veteran or something. I don't know, but he 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 didn't age grace, gracefully. I mean, the glasses and the mustache don't really help his cause, but um, yeah, he he's looking kind of old. Here is a thing though, too. We have to remember. People really did not take care of their skin back then. No, so that they, is true. The innovations in moisturizer really hadn't hit the, uh, well, let's just say the northern white Arizona or northern Minnesota whites quite like today. So <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is very true. Now, the date was August 27th, 1979, and Deputy Johnson was traveling down a very rural section of Highway 220, located roughly 10 miles away from Warren, Minnesota, which, looking from the map, it is almost directly south of Warren. Not that it really matters. Uh, According to Deputy Johnson, it was about 1.40 in the morning when all of a sudden he took notice of a very bright white light in the near distance, which appeared to be residing within the middle of the road. He later said it was about 8 to 12 inches in diameter, sitting roughly 3 to 4 feet off of the ground. Now, keep in mind that in a very rural area like this, it's pure darkness everywhere. So when Deputy Johnson sees this light sitting in the middle of the road, it is sticking out like a sore thumb. Definitely, yeah. Uh, Especially up there. Um, Oh, yeah. Not a lot of fucking i mean houses like farmhouses are going to be few and far between it is yeah um also i was gonna say you said it is in august so up that far north they do have very short nights but if it's 140 in the morning then yeah you're yeah. uh you're still pretty far off from dawn hitting. yeah yeah it's dark as shit um so the thing about this here is um I watched a video, it was like a guy, I don't know if he lives up there or whatever, but he was giving a tour of like the area where this is going to all happen, and even, let's just say it's within the last five years this video was shot, where the highway is, there is nothing around it but fields. Yeah. So I'm guessing back then, in 79, probably wasn't anything around there either. Probably the exact same fields, just different owners. So it's it's a very destitute area. Um, Like when I go back home to my parents who live on a farm, the second nightfall sets, it is dark as shit. So if he's just cruising down, I'm sure his headlights fucking suck in 1979. (laughs) Like this shit sticks out like a sore goddamn thumb. Yeah, it's. You know, you didn't live in a heavily populated area at all. A lot of your neighbors, too, were Amish. Yeah. So they didn't have the big farm lights. Like a lot of the farms around where I grew up, a lot right. of them had the huge farm lights that kind of lit shit up. Right. So, right. Yeah, you didn't have any of that. Exactly. Um, so after Val spotted the light, uh, he decided, you know, he's going to drive towards it and see exactly what he's looking at here. He claimed that at the time... In his mind, he he thought maybe it was uh, an aircraft that had to make an emergency landing on the road, or maybe there was like a vehicle stalled there, or like something not out of the ordinary. 
Uh, now, where the story begins to get really weird is once Val started heading towards the light, the light would abruptly change direction and head right towards his police car. Deputy Johnson said that the light rumbled towards his car at a very high rate of speed before slamming into the vehicle. Uh, he remembers hearing the sound of glass breaking just prior to losing consciousness from the collision. So it was like he starts heading towards it, the light heads towards him, hits his car. It's like a split second, and then he's knocked out. Okay, so right off the bat, first thing I have to ask, this is pretty close to Canada. Okay. How many Moltsons did old <laughs> Jeopardy Johnson have in him while, <laughs> while this was happening? 79, you know damn well they're still drinking Paps or Old Style. Oh, 79? He was drinking while driving, and it was perfectly <laughs> legal. So You want to hear some funny? Last Friday, I haven't bought beer or drank in a long time, right? And I was hanging out with uh, some friends, and I'm like, you know what I'm craving? Some fucking Maltzons. So I went to the <laughs> store and got a six-pack of Maltzons, and, and we all enjoyed them because they're very underrated. Definitely. Yeah. You got to be wearing like the, the denim denim coat and the denim pants too while you buy the Maltzons or else you get a fine, I've heard. so. <laughs> the denim jacket's all hipster shit now, fellas. Too goddamn expensive. Oh, is that shit back in? Yeah. You, everything in the 70s is like hip right now. Okay. Yeah, I have no idea. I just wear blue jeans and a black t-shirt. That's all I wear. So. I'll tell you what. If I can find a jean jacket, a denim jacket... I will wear it every time I consume a Molson's from now on. Well, you know, you do got to represent and uh, wear that hometown kit. So, yeah, definitely get the denim tuxedo there. If we're going to be the honorary Canadian state, we almost have to. All right, yeah. Phil. So um, before I get to the next section, any guesses in your mind so far what the light could be? Ooh, um, well, obviously your mind instantly goes to... Um, kind of like you, you hear a lot about like the probes, like we've talked about them a bunch of times on, you know, different episodes where it's almost kind of like a little probe, just a ball of light that comes out that kind of like scans the area, goes out searching for things, um, you know, then goes back to a mothership. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say maybe it was a probe and uh, for some reason it, you know, it maybe I don't know, maybe thought he was something else, thought his car was going to stop, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, once we hear about the damage and stuff, uh, it's honestly a very good guess. Um, but we'll continue on here. So, Okay. Now, as we've heard, you know, in similar UFO, UFO events, uh, Deputy Johnson would remain unconscious for roughly about 39 minutes before he was able to regain his faculties. But even though he was now kind of in a conscious state, mentally he was in a very, you know, complete state of confusion because of what just happened. He had no fucking idea. So one of the first things Deputy Johnson would note was that his car's clock and his wristwatch were now both exactly 14 minutes off from the time they should have been. Uh, according to Val, the police were required to synchronize the clock in the car with the wristwatch before they could head on head out on patrol. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, 
obviously now technology has changed a lot where they don't necessarily have to synchronize their watches and their cars time. But so it's kind of interesting where it's like missing time for him knocked out for 39 minutes, which he'd find out later on. And then the clocks on his car and his watch were also off, but for 14 minutes. Yeah, so for a police officer, obviously, for reporting reasons, you're going to want to know exactly what time it is. Right. So basically, it can't be the situation. Imagine if you're in court and you say, well, you know, at 1022, I found this guy, pulled him over, and then at 1021, I, you know, he ran off. And then, you know, basically, like, you're going back and forth between your wristwatch and your car's clock. Right. Then all of a sudden, they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, there's weird times there. You know, you said that you saw him speeding, but then you pulled him over a minute before you saw him speeding. So if there's something like that, they can get away. Yeah. You know, they yeah. the lawyers can get them off and be like, did you what what else are you fucking up? You know, very. True. What else is the police officer screwing up? That's why time is so important in that situation. Also, now everyone in their pockets has Verizon standard time pretty much. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's here's the thing, though. Any clue as to why the clock in the cars would have been off with by 14 minutes I from think, his wristwatch? No, the I'm, the car and the car's clock and his wristwatch both were off by 14 minutes. Oh, okay. I thought that there was a difference of 14 minutes no. between his wristwatch and his car clock. He he was unconscious for 39 minutes, and his wristwatch and the clock in the car which was an analog clock, um, were both off by 14 minutes exactly. Oh, okay. How did he know his clocks were off if they were both off at the same amount of time? Um, I'll, I'll talk about that in the next section. Okay. Because he, um, he contacts somebody after the accident, so. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I thought the situation was that his wristwatch and his car clock were 14 minutes apart. So I'm, I'm willing to bet it was uh, some kind of I don't know. The story's always kind of like that weird radiation yeah. that the UFOs put off. Yeah. So. Something to stop. See, here's the thing. With his wristwatch, 79, I doubt the digital watches were very big yet, especially not for a cop. So I'm assuming they're both analog, which I don't know. It's just very strange. Um, but I'll keep going here. Um, after he regained consciousness, uh, kind of enough to get his head on straight. Deputy Johnson contacted the dispatcher with a code of 1088, which refers to an officer needs help. Now the conversation between the operator and Val is also kind of interesting. And I'm going to assume this is where he got the time or asked what time it was. You know what I mean? Um, okay. The operator says 407. What's your condition? Johnson replies. I don't know. Something just hit my car. I don't know how to explain it strange operator says are you what's your condition are you okay deputy johnson says something attacked my car i heard glass breaking and brakes locked up i don't know what's going on operator says 104 i'll get a hold of 406 stefan and send them along the way so in the in the heat of the moment after it happens He's already calling for help. He's kind of explaining. He doesn't really know what just happened to him. But uh, when the other cops arrive on the scene, there's even more weird shit that just happens. So 
Um, you can listen to the audio, by the way, of their conversation. So this is exactly what he says. Okay. So basically, he talks to the operator. The operator asks him how he's doing and then tells him he's going to be sending some other officers along to, help. to like render assistance. Yeah. So, I, okay. ma- I imagine if you call in a 1088, it's pretty serious. Oh, definitely. Out there, they're going to think you got attacked by a fucking mountain lion. <laughs> Or, you know, a herd of moose <laughs> ran his ass over. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a rogue Vikings linebacker. Yeah. Out there. 1979. Uh, let's see who would have been. on. I think they had a lot of troublemakers on the team in 79. Oh, definitely. I imagine. I think this is the area where maybe Brock Lesnar's parents might have uh, grown up. So maybe uh, a rogue Brock Lesnar's father was was out there. Did you see a man with a giant sword on his chest? <laughs> <laughs> Just a large Norseman. <laughs> no neck at all. I don't know. <laughs> he does look like a Viking warrior. Um, yeah, he's a uh, he's a character. Was he was he a troublemaker? I don't really know. In uh, college or just like in general? Oh well, no. So college he was like a fucking like blue chip collegiate athlete i don't think he was much of a troublemaker um you never really hear about him in in fights outside of like the ufc or you know like wrestling so he's kind of he's one of those from all the stories i've heard he's kind of a loner he kind of lives out on a ranch in i think i believe it's canada he lives oh. in now i knew for a while he was living in alexandria minnesota so alexandria yeah, up okay. by the lakes up there. Okay, it's a, it's pretty small town or, you know, medium size, I guess. Uh, very nice yeah. there, I can say that for certain. Lots of lakes there. Oh, yeah, tourist and fishing. Yeah. Keep that fucking whole area alive. Exactly. Now, when the other officers arrived on the scene, uh, they would take Deputy Johnson to a local hospital to get looked at. But they would notice some very weird things about the car accident uh, he was driving the pretty typical police car for the day, a 1977 Ford LTD squad car, which is a boat of a car. This is a monster of a car. You're, correct me if I'm wrong, but your dad had an LTD, right? Uh, so it was my grandpa. Okay. It was a, a Crown Vic. My grandpa bought a Crown Vic and he was driving that around. And then after my grandpa passed away, that car ended up on my dad's, you know, uh, basically every single farm in the Midwest is a small (laughs) car dealership. Yeah. You just kind of acquire cars for some reason. (laughs) So I believe it was my older brother who was driving around that that particular, the the Crown Vic for a while. So I don't, I don't know if Crown Vic, I do think might've been GM. I don't know if. No, it's a Ford. Oh, it's Ford? Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm almost, I do know that Crown Vicks are kind of like the typical cop cars yeah. before like the Malibus kind of took over that position. The I'm almost positive the LTDs turned into the Crown Victorias because cops use the Crown Vicks forever. Oh, yeah. And I wait, Malibus and Impalas, that's what it is. Yes, yes. They're kind of, they're basically the same Chevy yeah. car, but Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, the car, the uh, the squad car here, the hood of it was dented, the front windshield was cracked, two spring-loaded antennas were bent in a very odd way, the driver's side headlight was smashed, and one of the 
if you can see from the picture here, one of the cherries on top, not the center one, but one of the little guys there was um, had a hole in it as well. So the car also where it had stopped, they could see that there were skid marks that dragged for 99 feet long, meaning that the brakes had locked up for quite a bit of time from him driving, um, even though yep. he doesn't remember locking up the brakes. Uh, also, apparently, now this was only from one source, they found pieces of shattered glass 854 feet from where the skid mark started. So if that's to be believed, where the impact hit, some of the glass got off, and it was quite a while before he engaged the brakes and started skidding, which I don't know if that is the case or not, but that's what it says. Yeah, if that, I mean, honestly, if that happened nowadays with this kind of damage, I would say maybe you hit someone on a bike <laughs> or, <laughs> you Is this know. the origin story to I know what you did last summer? Well, yeah, like so if hitting somebody on a bicycle, because um, it's not necessarily, it's not like you hit something really solid. Um, it's it's kind of damage that kind of is, is spread out as if they hit, you know, the bike frame kind of took out the the headlights. Um, maybe the person smashed the window and then, you know, possibly went over and hit the cherries on top, too. No, so I'm no. just trying to I'm in my mind. I'm trying to think, like, if this happened nowadays, what would I imagine that that person hit? Now, you got to remember, I don't know if you can kind of see the pictures here I have below. So I can. the it's one headlight that's cracked. OK, the spot on the windshield is not that big. And you can see the antennas here are bent in a very peculiar fashion. The one on the top right is almost just bent at the top. And the other one is bent, you know, more towards the bottom of it in a very sharp direction. So it's very strange and we'll kind of, they'll have some experts come and take a look at all of this stuff as, as well as which we'll get into. But it's just a very weird, very direct crash almost. Yeah, they are, those, actually I didn't notice those antennas. The the top antenna, the top picture of the antenna, it's it's bent at a 45 degree angle. It looks as if you took a pliers and kind of like twisted it to get that perfect kind of crank so that you don't round it. Because if you tried to bend those with your hands, you imagine you would round it kind of like if you were trying to bend a coat hanger. Yeah, but that is a very it's a very straight angle. And the top one's like damn near 45 degrees. The bottom one, it looks as if it was manufactured that way it's yeah. such a perfect bend <laughs> that's the thing and like the windshield hole if that was a person i don't it'd be a lot bigger i would assume or possibly their their elbow went through or something like that yeah that's true yeah that's true but there would be a lot more breakage once the rest of their body hit the the outside of it i suppose here's too, the other so. thing the hood dent it might sound like a big one but it's just one dent I would say from the pictures, maybe about the size of a golf ball, maybe, maybe a little bigger than that. Well, he did say that that white was very small. He said it yeah. was only like four to eight inches across. Yeah. So, so it's not, it's, it's pretty, you know, I, I don't know. We'll keep going here and we'll try to decipher because we have more information about it. Um, after Deputy Johnson was taken to the hospital, uh, this they found some very interesting injuries that he had. 
Uh, he had very mild burns on his face, but the weirdest thing was that he had very painful burns on his eyes, which would have been similar to what a welder would get if they were welding without proper eye protection on, which that's straight up radiation burning your eyes, by the way. Um, a few sources said that Val had a, a couple of his teeth were fractured just below the gum line as well. Oof. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, with the, like a welder, everyone, I'm, well, you know, we're kind of, we've known, like your dad's a mechanic. My dad did a lot of like welding and shit like that for his job when he was at Featherlight. So you've seen, and we also took that class in college where we did welding. Yep. You've seen people like if you weren't wearing leathers on your arms when you weld and just how bad that sunburnt is, it's just that dark ass burn from just the heat. And it's almost like the light too burns your skin. I'm pretty sure it's technically in a a type of radiation. I'm pretty, not like a nuclear bomb, but a type that will like burn your skin in your eyes. Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, honestly, if, Anyone who would weld without wearing, you know, a welder's mask is fucking crazy. It does sound <laughs> old school, like how they, you know, how a man's man back in the 50s would have done it. But do you remember? Yeah, it, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I don't really I can't explain the fractured teeth below the gun line. That's pretty fucked up. The only thing you can really think about that is if his head like right there hit the steering wheel or something. Yeah, that's true. But if. I I yeah I don't really know how else you would do it. Yeah, well, got to think back then too. Steering wheels back then aren't like the kind that we have now. There's no padding on those old school steering wheels. It was is straight metal. Yeah, I was gonna say seventy nine or seventy seven LTD. Yeah, that thing probably had metal. Yeah, well, metal wrapped in maybe leather, but there's no. It's not gonna be padded. Um, there's gonna be no give to that steering wheel either. If you get in an accident, it's you know, going right into your face and chest. So, um, do you remember when we covered the cash? I can't remember. It was a cash lundrum or lindrum. You have thing where the lady got burned from the object she saw in the sky. Yes. When the, it was what one child and two older women yes. were outside of their car, just kind of staring at it and they got radiated. They got radiation burns from it. So yes, what, I remember what's interesting is this guy has milder symptoms than kind of what they have. But this also happened one week. I think it was one week before that happened. Oh, okay. So there was, ele- there was other elevated activity kind of around the, around the world then maybe. I, I like guess kind so. Of like a, hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, well, the thing is he doesn't have any, I don't know if you're going to, get into this where it's like hypnotized or something like that. He doesn't have any recollection of that 40 or so minutes. So we don't know exactly how long um, you said that there is a hole in that windshield. Possibly it went inside of his car. Yeah. Maybe he had just a few seconds of close contact burn. So with, with something. Yeah. And we'll, I'll get into kind of his life after that, but uh, yeah, he doesn't ever do her, like regression hypnotherapy or anything like that. Um, okay. But what is really interesting is that the local police, um, they must have thought that the crash itself and the damage to the car was weird enough to hire some experts to actually come out and try to figure out what exactly happened to uh, Val here. 
Starting off, they with the weirdly bent antennas on top of the car, uh, they hired a metal expert from Honeywell Labs. Now, Honeywell, I don't know if their headquarters is here, but they're I know they're big in Minnesota. I know that for certain, which, so it makes sense why they would hire them. Uh, but they came out to look at the antennas, kind of figure out why they're bent like that. Uh, the expert, the closest thing he could have came to why the damage was like this, he he had no idea why, but he said it would have to have came from something like a high-velocity blast of air, which would be hard to pull off in the middle of nowhere in northern Minnesota on a probably desolate highway at 1.40 in the morning. Yeah, as if it was like a jet engine had kind of like passed right over him and then just that blast of exhaust like yeah. bent his antennas. Because, okay. Because the air would be soft enough to bend it without destroying it if it was like a really quick one. Yeah, without ripping it out of the vehicle itself. Yeah, so, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, there is actually, I believe there's a really close to where I work, kind of in that industrial area. I believe there is a Honeywell there too. It's not a It's not a very big factory, but no, they, they, have a, they have locations all around. Yeah, they. I, I'm pretty sure their main office is here because I've known a few people work for them, but because um, like hmm. they worked in the factory or whatever here, but uh, but yeah. So now for the windshield damage, I think this is even more interesting. A glass expert that worked for the Ford Motor Company named Meridian French, interesting <laughs> name there. <laughs> uh, he would come out to examine the windshield damage. He said, "This is his exact quote about the fractures." I'm convinced that the fractures, as we see here, were made by some type of a blow from outside of the glass by some firm, probably hard object, but not, but with not sufficient force to crush the glass, but enough to bend the glass to the point of breaking it. I have not seen anything like this before. They, they are extremely unusual. Now, kind of what he he would later say is it was almost like there was force from the outside and the inside at, you know, like it went in and then came back out. And that's kind of what created the weird damage on the glass. And the other thing that he noted was if you were to draw a straight line from, let's say the headlight to the more or less bent antenna, right? Yeah. All the damage is kept within a, uh, no lo- no wider than one foot. So if whatever he hit had to be almost one foot wide to keep it, keep the damage in line there. Yes. So it's basically just a really small object that he hit. Yes. Okay. But it so also, that kind of, that, that takes a, uh, a homeless person on a bike out of it. Then. <laughs> so I was mistaken. Well, no, I'll, I'll retract that. I just always assume homeless person on a bike. See, the end of the story is, is that Val, and all his other high school friends slowly get killed off by a man in a raincoat and a hook. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It, how would something go in the glass and then come back out of it? That's kind of weird. Without, yeah, not completely shattering the glass. Too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it. so windshield glass, it's that double pane. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's meant to, it's, it's not meant to shatter like you think of like a window is. It's meant to do that shatter spider, There's like the spider webs. 
it's meant to kind of draw the impact around it so that it doesn't, you know, if something hits your windshield, it's not going to, you know, run right through it. Yeah, basically. Sh- throw like throw shards of glass in your eye. Yeah, exactly. Um, that inside that double pane is kind of meant to, to catch it. Um, so, geez, I mean, kind of like a almost it hit him with a lot of force, but kind of reminds me like they always say, you know, like a hot knife through butter. Yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe kind of mo- maybe it kind of deformed the glass because it was so hot as it was coming near it. So possibly. Well, I mean, maybe you would say like a, a, a very, very extremely localized like meteor sh- meteors coming at it. So that might be like an excuse, I suppose. But that's, that's an interesting theory. I guess I never even thought about that. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, possibly. We, well, you know, it doesn't explain the antennas, really. No. Because um, if it hit, if a, if a fucking meteorite hit that antenna, it would just break off the antenna. It wouldn't bend it perfectly like that. Um, I, it would explain, obviously, you know, the the cherry, the hole in the windshield and the headlights being broken and the large dent on the hood. But yeah, it wouldn't explain the antennas. Do you think it could have possibly been Wayne Gretzky with a slap shot? Could have been. I mean, yeah, how close is the oil <laughs> Oilers hockey stadium uh, at this time? I think Edmund, Minnesota. I'm pretty sure Edmonton from like Minnesota and North Dakota is the closest um, big city in Canada. <laughs> but uh, I think okay, yeah, there is. Uh, my my mom's ex boyfriend lived in Saskatchewan, yeah, Canada, that's and I think that there. there's that's uh that's really close to like the Minnesota North Dakota border. He when when he would fly from Arizona to um he would fly from Arizona to North Dakota and then drive back up to Saskatchewan. So he would drive across the border. Damn. So. That's a hell of a drive from Arizona. Yeah, it is. No, no. He would fly to North Dakota and then drive from North Dakota oh, gotcha. up to Canada. So, yeah, it is pretty close. But I don't think there's any huge cities in Saskatchewan. Maybe Saskatchewan or <laughs> Regina. But <laughs> Are those made-up names? Regina? No, Regina <laughs> is the, uh, it, it's, I think, their biggest city in Saskatchewan. Okay. All right, might want to consider a name change for that. Seems inappropriate. But yeah, they don't like it when you call the city Regina either. So okay. you got to call it Regina. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> just like that. It's like a rhinoceros's vagina. That's all I can think of there, a Regina. <laughs> Regina, yeah. <laughs> all right. Marshall County Sheriff Dennis Brecky was the one who spearheaded all of the investigation into what happened to Deputy Johnson because... Even though it sounds strange, he sincerely believed that something strange had to have happened to Val. Sheriff Brecky would also contact the FAA and ask them if they have knew of any objects that were in the air on the night of August 27th. But unsurprisingly, uh, they reported that nothing had been seen on their end and all the skies were clear. Sheriff Brecky would even go on to contact the Center for UFO Studies located in Evanston, Illinois, who would send out one of their investigators. The investigator would run tests for radioactivity and magnetism on the car, and I believe in the area as well where it happened, but concluded that the car nor the area 
showed signs of either of those things, which are sometimes associated with UFO events. Now, do you think that (laughs) there could have been, you know, maybe somebody better to bring in, you know, maybe from a better Big Ten college town? Not quite Evanston, Evanston, Illinois. What's in Evanston? I believe the, I believe... Illinois University, the Finding Illini. I believe that they are located in really? Illinois. So is that like, Possibly. do you think that's close to Chica- like Chicago? Or prob- yes, is I it? Okay. do believe it's pretty close to Chicago. Because I know Northwestern is within Chicago itself, correct? Yeah, it's just on the outside of Chicago. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you know what? This guy had nothing else going on that day, so... Why not send, I don't know, a rookie out there, probably? <laughs> send, well, it's, I mean, back in 1979, uh, I'm not sure exactly if, like, MUFON was really that big. You're right. It was Northwestern. Um, Just think about it, though. Let's say from the Twin Cities to Chicago, which the Twin Cities is on the very eastern side of Minnesota, that is about six hours. So if this motherfucker is driving from Chicago Chicago to here, <laughs> that is about 11 hours. Because I looked up how far it is to drive from where I am to this place, and it is five and a half hours. Yeah, it's quite a fucking jaunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, if you're a UFO expert and this is kind of your deal, you know, this could be the 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 breakout for your whole investigative career with ufology so yeah it's i mean it'd be interesting to see kind of like what tests he would run on it and you know how he would back in 1979 kind of how they would go about it right probably just a geiger counter and i i don't know how they check for magnetism honestly i don't know yeah well god it's I mean, I imagine he would probably do a lot of investigating, like talking to people, trying to figure, is this guy a quack, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's like, true. Does this guy ever tell, tell any tall tales? You know, that's kind of like where I would start, too, I along think, with investigating, like, the vehicle, so. What we got to remember is I think Sheriff Brecky, he, he, you know, probably called the FAA first. They didn't have anything. Called these experts yep. in. They didn't have anything. So he's like, I don't know who else to turn to, so we'll just call this guy. So I'm, I'm assuming it was kind of his last um, hope to figure out what happened. But obviously that guy didn't have uh, any answers for him. So uh, Sheriff Brecky, after kind of all that, didn't really figure out what happened. Uh, he he was just going to, you know, go ahead and have the car repaired, put it back into commission, get her back on the road. But once the story began to kind of swirl in the media, people were starting to get captivated by what they called the UFO car. Now, people were so interested in, you know, what happened to Val here is that they started like nonstop calling the sheriff's office here, who probably barely got a phone call. And then Val's Val's personal home, they just kept calling him and calling him. And a lot of them just wanted to tell him their own personal UFO experiences, not even to really ask him about what happened to him, which I imagine they were looking to some for someone to connect with, kind of share their experiences, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned like the small town 
you know, sheriff's office. I wonder really how many emergencies kind of went, you know, <laughs> through didn't there. get investigated, didn't get, you know, contacted because there were so many people trying to call in. I can just imagine they probably have one lady there answering the phones and that's it. <laughs> exactly. I know. Over- you're overwhelming poor Marge. Yeah. She can't take it. Um, <laughs> now, Sheriff Brecky, he decided he was going to go ahead and put the car on display at the Marshall County Fair. Again, probably not a lot going on at the Marshall County Fair. So yeah. they kind of set it up as an attraction. Uh, and people just were specifically coming to the county fair just to see the fucking car. So it was kind of a hit. Um, and because it became such an attraction, the sheriff actually would go ahead and donate it to Settler Square Historical Museum in Warren, Minnesota, where if you want, you can still go here and they have the car on display. And I am thinking about doing it one of these weekends. Just go up there and pay the $5 or whatever and just look at the car. Oh, yeah. Maybe when gas goes down a yeah, little bit. Yeah, very true. That would, be pretty, that would be pretty cool to go see that car. I can imagine <laughs> the Marshall County fucking historical society probably doesn't have much in it besides maybe some old farm equipment and that car. So from the looks of it, what you can kind of see, they have like the car left untouched by the way, like the damage and everything's still in it. And then they have like a bunch of, I think model T's (laughs) everywhere, which is really a really old Ford, which is kind of a cool car. Yeah. I know the, the old, basically it was at the County fair grounds, um, kind of like the old historical, little showing really all that they had was you know kind of old farm equipment and you know just little knickknacks from around town from like a hundred years ago but i mean it is kind of a boost for like a little county fair like that to have such a huge attraction apparently it brought in the people so i guess that year they made a few extra bucks probably yeah, sold a, they sold a couple extra corn dogs <laughs> and sticks of butter, <laughs> fried butter. Now, this is really interesting that apparently, allegedly, supposedly, two days after the Val Johnson incident, about 400 miles away in South Dakota, a man by the name of Russ Johnson, who was not related to Val, had a very similar experience where a bright light crashed into his car and I, apparently it was his car was just engulfed in bright lights, but he was not knocked out or anything. Russ Johnson claims that he had no knowledge of what happened to Deputy Johnson, which in 1979 might be believable. I don't know if the news would have traveled that fast between the two states. I, what do you think? Well, oh, yeah, definitely in order for it to, you know, come... Nowadays, we think, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, one cell phone, you know, gets any kind of interview, gets any kind of, you know, anybody with a cell phone can make anything in the world huge. Back then, it basically had to get picked up by your local news, then get picked up by, you know, your state news, maybe like the big regional news. So one of the big fucking stations in Minneapolis would have had to pick it up and then it would have to have fucking traveled on the wires pretty to, to get South picked Dakota. up by these other guys. Yeah, to South Dakota. All the, yeah, to South Dakota. In order in order for the people in South Dakota to know about it, I'm saying it would have to travel basically at least to Minneapolis. Yeah. So So it, it now what I think is interesting is if you if we follow the timeline of what we know, 
We got Val Johnson, and maybe this happened to Russ Johnson, a very similar thing. And then you have the Cash uh, Lindrum or whatever incident a week later. Yeah. So, I mean, that's three incidents in just like, what, a week? Yeah. So it's probably not very likely that any of those three like knew about the other ones. No. So. This guy, like, while Val's is a pretty, especially in the state of Minnesota, is a big story. Um, it's not nearly as popular as like the cash, the cash one. Um, that one is way bigger than this one, as far as like popularity in the UFO things. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, probably not as much at the time, but I'm guessing over the years it picked up steam. Ah, uh, you're gonna. Well, I'll tell you about what happened <laughs> after that. Okay. Um, okay. It, it was about a month after the incident. Val, you know, he found himself being just overwhelmed from all the attention from the reporters and the either normal or not normal UFO people. Uh, he would give one final interview in 1979 on Good Morning America, which I tried and I could not find before his wife told him he didn't want to he wanted to leave all this UFO stuff behind him and quit talking about it. Don't do anything like that. Mostly because he had three children and I guess he wanted to focus on his kids and not spending his whole life talking about this UFO thing. So Val basically just disappeared for the, for at least the next 30 years. Couldn't find him. Okay. So, so really he didn't kind of like propagate it. No. After. Oh, okay. Gotcha. He, so it would have more, it would have like the opposite of what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking that it was like kind of smaller at first, but then it picked up steam. This basically was huge right away. And then he just kind of let it die. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't want to get involved in it anymore. Um, okay. He, I couldn't even find videos of him. It's the only people who even talk about her is Sheriff Brecky. Val, I'll kind of talk, talk about what happened to him. But he he just doesn't want anything to do with it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you're kind of a small town guy, you, know, you wouldn't really want that kind of if you if you went 29 years just living pretty low key life, you know, in the small town deputy, you, that kind of being on Good Morning America for that shit. Especially, I can imagine his wife was probably you know feeling like everyone was talking shit about her. Yeah, that's kind of it's kind of, you know, getting getting all of the I don't know. It's kind of hard to go back home after all of that stuff. You know, it's kind of hard to go to the grocery store when people just saw you give an interview. So I think what my understanding reading between the lines as uh, Val will eventually kind of come out of the woodwork a little bit is I think his wife didn't want (laughs) Like the family to be distracted and not raise their kids. And I don't think he wanted their kids to be surrounded by weirdos. <laughs> I guess. You know okay. what I, mean? I mean, let's be <laughs> real. All. You know, basically, they might as well move to Roswell Co. for the kind of people who were like coming up to them. Yeah. You're saying? Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, the, the we don't know for sure, but I it sounds like if people are call, calling your house constantly about this, it has to get a bit old. And I'm sure there was people sitting outside of his house too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I can I can see that too. That's uh that would be a little bit weird to have uh, you know, some of these experiencers 
kind of come up to you and legitimize their own, you know, yeah. what was what their own experience was. Yeah, but now, as I said, disappears for a long time. Uh, sometime in 2013, the press discovered that Val Johnson was now living in Eclair, Wisconsin. So, of course, they decided they had to bother him to try to ask more questions. Um, yeah. They kind of found out what happened to him is, is, after the event. Uh, Val, he remained a deputy for Marshall County for a little while after the incident. Um, but like I said, the UFO, the UFO calls never stopped. The attention never stopped. So eventually he took a job uh, and became the chief of police in Oslo, Minnesota. And by all accounts, by everybody here, he was nothing but a police officer didn't talk about the UFO event or anything with his coworkers. He just focused on his job, didn't bring up anything that happened to him back in uh, Marshall County. And what else I thought was interesting is after he took this job, Sheriff Belk or Brecky said that they never talked again after that. So he cut ties with like everybody there, which I thought was okay. kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if something happened after he's a chief of police, but... He then became a security guard within the Twin Cities, and then he took a job working customer service for 3M, which sounded horrible. Um, yeah. And then kind of um, they that kind of leads him where he is now, and they, you know, that was kind of his last job before retirement. So he really tried to avoid bringing up any of this UFO stuff. It sounds like he's really trying to avoid anyone who will ever ask him a question about UFOs ever again. Yeah. As it seems like he moved away at first. It's like, okay, now I'm away. Now I'm, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, let's move to the city where I can kind of like maybe, maybe blend in. Cause if you're in a small town, if eventually like say he moved to Oslo, Minnesota, eventually what happens when we shit, like, remember that story from 10 years ago, that's him. And now no one will shut up about it. Shut up about it. So you got to kind of get there too. So yeah, exactly. How I imagine um, cutting ties back that like nowadays it's really to completely cut ties with people with Facebook yeah. and Instagram and all that. It, back then, you leave town. You then we we listen to a lot of true crime. They write like official government ID, like basically written in. You can. Yeah your name move town you know leave behind you as a lot of serial killers did back then exactly so. yeah exactly well um i'm just gonna finish off here real quick uh he did another interview in 2015 he was 71 years old at this point he kind of opened up a little bit a little bit about it um he basically told them still doesn't know what exactly happened to him on that night but he isn't he he said I'm not going to go out and say it was an extraterrestrial thing, but he also says, who knows what it is. It could have happened. Um, he said he's at peace with the situation and he still just doesn't want to disrupt his life trying to figure out what happened on that fateful day in August of 1979. And that's kind of where he left it. He hasn't done any interviews since then. I imagine 2021, he's what, 77 years old, probably does... Is just living in his twilight years here. So, ah, uh, yeah. What do you What do you think overall? What do you think this thing is? Do you think it was a hoax by him? Do you think it was a weird object? Do you think it was something that we know about? What What are you feeling? 
I don't. So it's kind of hard. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would try to come up with a hope. Um, like, you know, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would fake an alien, you know, encounter. Basically, it does kind of feel like maybe something, maybe he does know what happened. Maybe it kind of got away from him and maybe he kind of left it all behind because I don't know. It just kind of feels like he's out there out in the middle of nowhere. Like maybe he hit something or someone or something happened and he kind of, you know, maybe told this grand tale to kind of slow it down. But then everyone kept bringing it up. And Sheriff Brecky did all this investigating. And all of a sudden now he's doing interviews and people are harassing him at home. I mean, that's just kind of where my mind's taking me. Um, also, though, I really do. I mean, you hear a lot. There's, there's so many more UFO stories about just those little probes. So it seems to be like a lot of the encounters aren't really the huge motherships or even the smaller satellite ships. They're just these tiny little probes that like whiz around and kind of like collect data. So I mean, I mean maybe he hit one of those. And that, I was going to say, what if it was something like if it was a probe? Okay. Yeah. What if it had been spotted by him and they're like, Hey, we got to like <laughs> take him out before he chases us or something, you know, disable him. Oh yeah, that's true too. Um, I don't know. I think in that case, you think that the, the probe actually like attacked his car. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, that, I mean, it, it knocked him out. Highly aggressive. It could have been one of Barry Satiro's probes <laughs> sent out of his time machine. Um, geez, that's it's, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's as aggressive as a Jehovah's witness at your front door, right? That is true. They will stick their foot in and uh, <laughs> keep you from slamming that door. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy too. In my mind, they're kind of more not benevolent, trying to think of the word. They're they're almost so much above people that they really don't even notice. It's kind of like when you're walking down the street and don't even notice like a little squirrel kind of like wandering around. You know, that's kind of always in my mind how I think of how an alien would treat like a human. Like noticing them but not acknowledging them kind of situation. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose that is possible. It also could have been looking to abduct him and then it just turns out you know he was going a lot faster did didn't have the ability to slow down and you know maybe maybe the probe thought that he would slow down when it came up on him but maybe he just bashed right into it so yeah i i don't it's just the dan i think the weirdest thing is you could be like maybe it was a animal or a person or something but the damage to the car does not match what would happen if it was any of those things. Yeah, especially the bending of the glass. That's really weird. How the glass didn't act how, like a normal, the double panes of glass would act. It actually more like kind of molded in um, and then tried to like bounce back and that's what causes shattering. So I'm just thinking of something that could be a pretty bright light that you would crash into that would cause that kind of damage. I, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Nowadays you would kind of maybe say like, Oh, maybe it was, but I mean, why would the military be, if the, if the military did have drones back then, why would they be, you know, testing them out in the middle of fucking nowhere? Bumfuck Minnesota. So close to the minute, so close to the Canadian border too. 
I mean, um, maybe that's kind of yeah. They could wise. test him out there just because nobody is supposed to be out there. I I don't know. That's true too. It's who know, <laughs> who's I gonna mean, believe? Who's gonna believe a bunch of drunk Canadians out at one forty? <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Well, uh, Phil, if uh, people want to give us their interpretation of what they the object they think the object is where can they uh reach us they can hit us up on our email subliminal d podcast at gmail.com uh it's great you know love hearing from all of the fans out there you know awesome ideas uh what little comments on the show we actually got uh another great e well i guess on instagram it's a message another great message on instagram today from one of our listeners, Kate. I wanted to thank her personally for her message. She kind of mentioned that we got some things fucked up on the Titanic episode from way back. So thank you for that. You know, it's always great. You know, we do fuck up here every once in a while. So thanks for that. Uh, Cody and I both also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is SDPodPhil. Cody, you have one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody's above. Uh, a few people reach out to me as well. And let's, let me know about the show. So thank you guys for that. Um, also, are you sure Kate isn't actually James Cameron because he's very proud of his Titanic movie? Possibly, yes. <laughs> Apparently, we uh, I haven't listened to the episode in years or however long it's been since we made it. Uh, apparently, we said that the California was the ship that rescued people. Apparently, the California was the ship that didn't turn around in time. Um, by the time that they did turn around and go try to pick people up there was nothing but wreckage in the water because i guess all the survivors have been picked up gotcha. so i guess that's one of the things we fucked up on also the white star line company uh they went under so i guess we got that wrong too but i'll have to go back and listen to the episode but thanks for the message yeah absolutely yeah we're not we're not per- perfect we're human here um last thing we need you guys to do is to log on to itunes leave a show five star review doesn't really matter if you say just five stars Write something funny in there, and Phil might read it on the show for you. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. You just hit five stars, hit submit. It's all you can. That's all you gotta do. You can't even type shit in there. Well, thank you guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. This is a more serious, mysterious UFO, and I really enjoyed it. So I hope you guys did as well. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>